I remember when our first child was born, and uh, we had talked about a middle name. We knew it was going to be Robert Brown, but he wouldn't be called Robert or Rob or Bob or Bobby because there were so many in our family, both sides of the family, with those names already. And so we were trying to pick a middle name that our their son would be called by, and, and uh, it came down to two names, and one of those names was Kent. It basically, he would have gotten the other name if he had not had red hair, but we had said if he has red hair, his name is going to be Kent, and we're going to call him Kent. And, uh, well, things did not quite go as planned. Um, you know, Tina was having uh, contractions one night, and we went, and they kind of told us it was a false alarm. Tina knew that there were some more issues going on. She knew more than the doctors, believe it or not. Most women do know more than the doctors about what's going on in their body. And she tried to explain some things, but they sent us back home. And uh, Tina was in, you know, going through all those labor pains. Um, I'd like to say I was being the compassionate husband, but I was getting some sleep because I was going to have a long day the next day with this, this baby coming into the world, right? <laughs> no, not a lot of sympathy. Um, but uh, the next morning we went back to meet with the doctor, and he said, ooh, we've got to get you over to the hospital. Um, and uh, it was just a whirlwind when we found out we are going to have any, I say we, Tina was going to have an emergency C-section, and I am thinking at that point, hey, I don't have to remember any of that Lamaze stuff. All that's just kind of out the window, right? And uh, but you know, I get to come, they they you know tell me to gown up and all that, and I come into the room and they pull Kent right into this world. And uh, of course, at that time, we had not made his name official, but. Uh, and some of you might be surprised to know that when he was born, he had red hair like his sister, except for all his red hair fell out and it came back brown. But, um, but because he was born with red hair, he was given the name. They said, what, what's his name going to be? Tina's over there. You know, now she's unconscious and they're getting her ready for everything else. That, you know, putting her back together. Everything happens after a C-section. And uh, meanwhile, Daddy's getting to have all the fun and taking... What's his name? Well, it's going to be Robert Kent Brown. We're going to call him Kent. And so while Tina is in recovery, we're having a good time. The nurses are calling him Kent. Everybody's calling him Kent. They bring him, they, they, they show him to Tina, you know, here's Kent, here's Kent. And she's thinking, who is Kent? What are you talking about? And uh, she was kind of giving me this look like, you named him without me? And I thought, thought we decided on all of this. Uh, but I'll never forget that look. You named him without me. And to this day, I'm glad we named him Kent because that's what everybody calls him, even to this day. <laughs> but, uh, but it was an interesting moment. And, and sometimes those, those times are just, you already know 10 years ahead of time what that child's name is going to be. Sometimes you're like, Lord, help us uh, come up with a name. And some of you thought you had an original name, and then it turns out that uh, that original name, 10 years later, wasn't so original when they get into the fifth grade, and, and there's eight people with the same name. But it's, it's, it's a process. We've got to pick out a name. So um, what was it like for Joseph to name Jesus? Well, he had a little bit of help. He, he had some supernatural help. And if you'll find your place in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at this subject, Christmas dreams, cooperating 
with royalty. Thank you for standing as we open the Word of God together. Beginning with verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name, say it with me, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we have sang and confessed that name this morning. And I pray that our lives will be a constant profession that we believe in that name Jesus. Help us to understand this morning further what that means. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Heard in the news this week some police officers had responded to a 911 call. They went expecting an emergency. They got there and found out that it was just that a child had gotten hold of a cell phone and figured out how to punch 911. The police got into the home, and, and though there wasn't an emergency at that moment, they realized that the family had gone through some crises in life. The family was doing without a lot of things. They were going through some hard times, and the police officers were so moved by all that, they, they basically had a discussion that said, we weren't here by accident. Uh, I think God wants us to minister to this family. And so they went and they began to find some folks who could help them meet some needs for this family that had gone through a difficult season. What they thought was a crisis turned out to be God's way of showing them an opportunity. And God has always introduced His plans with wonderful challenges. Challenges that catch us off guard a little bit from time to time. Challenges that often scare us. He has always been about redeeming us and involving us in His redemptive plan. That's something we need to understand about the Christian faith. Everything about the Scriptures in God's story is a story of redemption. And so God is always about redeeming us. And as soon as He redeems us, He is now involving us and our story in His redemptive plan and in His story, His story, the story, is the story of redemption. And every small story, our story, always points to the big story. Everything ultimately points back to Jesus. Joseph is certainly a classic example of all of this. There are other stories throughout the Scriptures that serve as what we might at this time of year call beautiful packaging to present the Christmas story, the Christ story, the story of the birth, the life, the death, 
and the resurrection and the soon return of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King. So our story fits into His story. God has a redemptive plan for you and a redemptive plan for me, and He calls you and He involves you and He involves me in His story And we often go through life so caught up in our own story that we don't ask what chapter it is in the big story. We don't ask, how does my life fit into His overall purposes and His overall plans? And like Joseph, it seems like more than we could ever dream. And boy, did he have a dream here. It seems like more than we could dream. God has called us to cooperate with Him, to cooperate with royalty. So this first Christmas dream... Is a dream that involves Him in God's royal plan. So we have to respond. When, when God sends that call for us to cooperate, we're going to have to have a response. And I pray this morning it would not be like Psalm 32.9, which says that we're not to be like that unbroken horse or mule that's not wanting to comp, uh, cooperate, but, but has to be forced into action. God says, don't be like that. Don't be the kind of person that I have to just break in order to get you to cooperate. Now, God is willing to do that, and He uses our seasons of brokenness to invite us to cooperate with Him. He has ways of getting our attention, just like He got Joseph's attention. But I believe He wants us to willingly cooperate. I had much rather willingly cooperate and get in on what God has in store and embrace God's plan than to be uncooperative and God have to break me like a horse or a mule. Some of us, know that we've had in the past to learn the hard way. We can be stubborn. We can be ignorant, meaning we just don't get it. Or we can be apathetic, meaning we just don't want it. (laughs) I was reminded again this past week of that phrase, what's worse, ignorance or apathy? And one responded to that question one time, what's worse, ignorance or apathy? He said, I don't know what I don't care. What's worse, ignorance, that we don't get it, we we don't understand that, that God has a big plan, a big picture, and our lives are part of that? Or is that that we're apathetic? Well, we get it. We just don't want it. We don't want to have anything to do with it. We want to be caught up in our plan and our purposes and in our own little world instead of God's big plan. And we live spiritually passionless lives unfulfilled. In the midst of that, we need to be reminded God is able to break through the darkness of this world with His glorious light as He did in the life of Joseph. What was the process God used in getting Joseph involved in royalty? First of all, we see that there's a problem encountered here. As we look at these first couple of verses, there was a problem encountered, going back to verse 18. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, sorry, I'm in chapter 4 for some reason, turn back to chapter 1, there we go. Now the birth of Christ was as follows, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. There was a problem. Often God gets our attention with a crisis. Henry Blackaby in Experiencing God would say that God always uses a crisis to get our attention. There's always something that we encounter that we did not expect to encounter that that introduces a problem into our life. And when God introduces that problem into our life, He's got our attention and He's ready to speak to us. And so we need to learn to look at a crisis. For for Moses, it was being on the backside of a desert and a burning bush gets his attention. Where he thought he was running from the plans of God, God arrested him and brought him back. For the Apostle Paul, he was on 
the road to Damascus to persecute Christians when he was literally blinded by the light and changed forevermore. Verse 18, we're talking about the birth of Christ. Literally, the word there, the birth, is what we looked at last week, the genesis of Christ. The the, the beginning of how the Son of God took on flesh to dwell among us. The word Christ, Christos, the Messiah, the Anointed One. If Messiah is no ordinary baby, why would we expect an ordinary birth? Well, you say, well, what's the problem? Well, the problem is, it says that Mary was betrothed or espoused in some translations. Maybe even the word engaged is used. It's a little bit different than our system (laughs) in days of arranged marriages in different types of courtships. The word betrothed or, or espoused here is not meaning that the marriage ceremony is taking place. It means more literally, that she has been wooed, asked, and promised. Wooed, (laughs) asked, and promised. And so we might call that an engagement today, but it was a little more binding than what our engagements are. Yet, there had been no marriage ceremony, and certainly there was to have been no consummation of the marriage. So here's the problem. Joseph, a righteous man, engaged to a girl that I'm sure he was certain was as pure as the driven snow, and now she's pregnant. And he knows that it's not his child, and the marriage vows, the wedding is not complete yet. Now, according to verse 19, we see that he's more righteous and gracious than most would have been. Joseph, her husband, being a just man, meaning that he wanted to do things God's way, by the book, but not wanting to make her a public example. So so he was seeking to be both righteous, I've got to do things by the book, at the same time I want to be as gracious as I possibly can be in handling this situation. And so he's more righteous and gracious than, than most. He's trying to figure out a way, it says, to put her away secretly. Now that phrase, to put her away, makes some of us think, well, what, what was he going to do? <laughs> put her away? When we use that kind of language now, you're calling a hitman, right? We're going to have him put away. Maybe we're, we're just going to have them locked up, but it could be that we're having them. And by the way, it would have been biblical, according to Old Testament standards, to have had her stoned to death, except for one thing. There would have been no eyewitnesses. Remember when they came to Jesus with the woman caught in adultery, the the reason that they were ready to cast stones, and Jesus said, you without sin cast the first stone, is because there were eyewitnesses. Which I've always thought about that religious crowd. How were they eyewitnesses? How did they know where she was? So when He said, you without sin cast the first stone... You might have been talking about even that specific sin. But in Mary's situation, we know that she was not unfaithful, so there could not have been witnesses, and most scholars believe that he wanted to not follow Leviticus 20.10 and have her stoned to death, but instead embrace Deuteronomy 24, 
one and divorce her, to, to annul the betrothal. They would have used the word divorce to even end an engagement in this time, or, or to annul the betrothal. And Deuteronomy 24.1 says you can do this for indecent and unclean behavior. So Joseph was assuming, he was a logical man, he, he understood the biology of it all, and he assumed the worst, but he was trying to respond in the very best way. In this crisis, while it must have ripped at his soul, he chooses to simply do what he feels like he can do, what he feels like he must do, showing righteousness and grace as much as he possibly can. So he calls off the wedding. Or is at least prepared (laughs) to call off the wedding. Now remember, God is at work through all of this. God has already, according to Luke's Gospel, appeared to Mary by this time. Joseph just can't see it all. Joseph just can't see it all. And sometimes life is like this. We just can't see it all. We, We haven't been down this road before. We don't understand where it's going to lead. We can't see around the next curve. This caught Joseph a little off guard. Uh, got a text last night, and I hope it was my daughter texting me and not my wife, but they were driving home and uh, just said, we're taking our time. It is very foggy. And they were on probably some unfamiliar roads where they had been on their way home. And as a husband and father, I was thinking, take your time. It's foggy. Be safe because other vehicles road turns in the road deer who knows what could come out of nowhere and so i'm saying take your time you'll get home you'll get there sometimes life is like that and possibly it was like that for joseph here in encountering this problem he was in a fog but that wasn't the end of the road god had more in store and so here's here's what came next the purpose was explained what god was about is beginning to be explained to joseph Remember, he's just being obedient to do what he feels like he's supposed to do. And yet, at the same time, it's okay sometimes to ask why. I'm going through what I'm going through. Verse 20, while he thought about these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take take to you marry your wife. As he thought, it's interesting, men, we're told, are typically, and there are exceptions to this rule, men are typically much more logical than they are emotional. And when everything and all of the events concerning the birth of Christ come into play, Joseph is always thinking. He's he's trying to be logical. He's trying to think through this. Luke says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. She was... She was, it was a little bit deeper to her. It was in the soul, and, and, and so there was an emotional reflection for Mary. Joseph being logical, he's thinking through this process, and he's thinking things don't add up. This doesn't make sense. I know Mary. I trust Mary. This doesn't make sense. But yet, only Mary could explain, he thought, at least at that point, what was going on? I kind of picture Joseph coming in like Ricky Ricardo on the I Love Lucy show. You remember that? What was it he always said? Hey, Lucy, you got some splanning to do. I picture Joseph wanting to say, Mary, <laughs> I love you. Help me out. 
I, I don't get this. But he needed to hear from more than Mary. He needed to hear from God. And so in this dream, God began to reveal what he was doing. He says, don't be afraid. Marry her. This child is conceived of the Holy Spirit. This is a miraculous birth. Many reject the doctrine, the teaching of the virgin birth. But listen, he goes on to say, in quoting the Old Testament prophecy in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. All this was the fulfillment of Scripture. There are theological reasons that we need to believe in the virgin birth of Christ. There are biblical reasons. In other words, while there are people out there attacking the virgin birth, and somebody can pick up a book, hey, the Da Vinci Code, that looks like a great book, and throw out this book of what God has said concerning the birth of Christ is beyond me why people would do that. But if we reject the virgin birth, then we reject Scripture. And if we reject Scripture, we reject the sinless life, the atoning death, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin. And it was a miraculous virgin birth. I believe it goes back to that seed of a woman, Genesis 3.15. Messiah would be fully God and fully man. Fully God. His Father was the Heavenly Father, not a human Father. But fully man. His mother was none other than Mary. Fully God and fully man. See, only man owed the price for sin. But only God could pay the price for sin. Messiah would have to be fully God and fully man. So verse 21, he says, you're going to call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sin. D.A. Carson says it this way, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, then He would have sent an economist. If He had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, He would have sent a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, He would have sent us a politician. Thank God He didn't send us a politician. If He had perceived that our greatest need was health, He would have sent us a doctor. But, God perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from Him, our profound rebellion, our death. So God sent us a Savior. His name is Jesus. Now, let me ask you, are you asking God to reveal His perfect plan in your life? What He wants to do in your life to help bring Christ in this world to involve you in royalty? How's your time alone with Him? How's your prayer life? You say, well, I've never had a dream like this one. Well, do you have a dream, a vision for what God wants to do in your life and through you? Are, are you seeking His perspective? Are you just kind of going about your own work, your own way, doing your own thing? Are you constantly saying, how does this fit into the big picture? And listen, here's a wonderful way. We, we saw some great truth, convicting truth this morning in Life Group. Great truth about 
uh, the demands of life and the craziness and all the things we get involved with. Here's, here's one way we can simplify things. We can say, if this activity, if this expense, if this endeavor doesn't fit into the big picture of what God wants to do in my life, then I need to let it go. I, need to, I don't need to get caught up in so many things that are this worldly. Well, Joseph had this dream. God's involving in the plan. And so third, I want you to see finally that the plan was embraced. He knew he had heard from God, verse 24. So Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. On the authority of God's Word, he said, I'm going to marry Mary. I'm going to embrace what God has for me. Now, keep in mind, he was already trying to do the right thing. It wasn't like Joseph was headed totally in the wrong direction and God had to convict him of his sin. He was trying to do the right thing, so God got his attention and drew him to himself and showed him what he was about. In verse 25, it says, He did not know, and and that speaks of consummating the marriage. He did not know her until he brought forth until she brought forth her firstborn son in other words joseph remained unselfish joseph said you know what this ain't about me this is much bigger than me he remained unselfish left no room for anyone to get the glory but god and did what god told him to do he called his name jesus in the greek it's jesus in the hebrew it's yeshua It's the word we get Joshua from, and the name means God's salvation. He named him God's salvation. He called him Jesus. Now this could not have been an easy plan. It couldn't have been easy for Joseph just to say, you know what, I'm going along. I'm going along to get along. Got to make make the best of this marriage. It didn't go like I expected, but... Joseph embraced the cross that the Lord gave him in being a steward of a child that was not his own, but was literally the child of God. Has God ever asked you to do something in your life that you said, God, are you sure? You sure you got the right person? God, I think this is this is the wrong number. You were looking for somebody else. Has, has God called you to be a part of something? It's not that you're saying, God, are you able? It's that you're saying, God, are you sure you want to use me? Perhaps Joseph felt that way. So many times we get distracted from from God's plan. You hear it so often, especially if you're in an evangelical Bible-believing church, you hear it so often that it just goes over your head. God has a plan for your life. You young people, you hear people say, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Get in on it. Embrace it. Don't miss out on it. Don't settle for less than God's best. And, and you hear it so much, it just kind of, ah, I'll do my own thing. As, as adults, we get caught up in the things of this world and we miss out on the fact that God has a wonderful plan for our life. We sometimes choose things that are good instead of what is best. We get distracted from embracing the best plan, God's plan for our life saw the movie this week, uh, Part 2, National Treasure. And uh, the end of the movie, some of you, I'm, I'm a spoiler right here, at the end of the movie you find out that, um, that the treasure, that the city of gold 
is right next to Mount Rushmore. And according to the, I'm going to assume fictional account, because nobody showed me otherwise, but according to the fictional account in the movie, Mount Rushmore was just a distraction. It was a big distraction. It was a grand distraction. But while they were carving Mount Rushmore, and while all that construction was going on, they were really supposedly building this wonderful city with all of the gold and all of these treasures to be stored for all of the decades since the carvings were done. Well, you and I know that that's not true, but it illustrates a great point. Sometimes, this world puts some grand images before us as a distraction. It says, go for this. Embrace that. Wouldn't this be wonderful for you to be a part of? Isn't it grand? Isn't it beautiful? And by the way, the whole world can see it. And God is saying, no, I've got something deeper. And I've got something more precious. And I've got something better for you. See, the devil himself will use that which is good to distract you from that which is best. Joseph now is going to get in on what is best. Remember, there's a crisis that comes about. This problem gets his attention. God explains it. Explains what he's up to. And then he leaves Joseph with a plan to embrace. We all this morning need to look at Joseph's life and remember we are in this world for a purpose and a plan. To know and glorify God and to make Him known. Let me ask you, what is your vision? What is your Christmas dream? Where does your story, your life story, fit into God's story? Do you ever even stop and give it any thought? Or is God going to have to bring a crisis into your life to get your attention, to shake you up a little bit, and say, it's time to turn your eyes on Jesus. It's time to get your eyes on Him and what He has for you. Are you fighting against it? Are you like the the unbroken horse or mule saying, well, I don't don't really want God's plan. I want my plan. I I want to sing with with Frank Sinatra at the end of this life, I did it my way rather than I did it God's way. Or do you want to get in something a little bit deeper? Ignore the, the grand distractions and get in on what God has for you. Would you bow your heads with me?